welcome to this episode of The Making of an Exception. If this is your first time tuning in, this podcast is for anyone who's looking to be inspired, to gain new perspective on life, or is aspiring to live out their faith in whatever field you find yourself in. Each week, we'll be interviewing influencers and creatives who are exceptions to the rule. The fact that they've gone through what they've gone through, walked through the challenges and pain that they have, and have been gifted the way they've been gifted is what makes them an exception. Our goal is that you'd hear this story today and you'd be inspired and challenged to be an exception in the making. If this podcast has impacted your life, you can help support by going to our website, exceptionpodcast.co, and clicking the Patreon link or by finding it in the show notes. Thank you so much for your support and thanks for listening. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Making of an Exception podcast. Today, we've got Nathan O'Malley from Minnesota Leatherworks. Good morning. Thanks so much for being here, man. Thank you for having me. Nathan is the lead sewer at Minnesota Leatherworks, Mm -hmm. which is amazing. I didn't even know that that was a legit job title. We're working on it. We're working on it. Seriously, that's awesome. How long have you been sewing? I've been sewing for about 10 years, actually. I started with tailoring a little bit, my own clothes, and yep. uh, full-time at Leatherworks Minnesota for seven years almost. Seven years sewing at Minnesota Leatherworks. Yep. So tell us a little bit about uh, that company. I know it's it's part of your family mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, for, for the last seven years, but what are, what's some of the stuff that you're making? And I know it's, it's all around the country now. Yeah. Well, we started in 1999. Um, I didn't start it. My parents started it. I was 11 years old, but they got married in 1999. Um, my stepdad, Kent, and my mom, Lee. Yep. And he'd been working full-time for a leather company called Duratech for probably 20 years and multi-million dollar leather company gets bought out and shipped to China. Yeah. So the year my parents get married, my dad's out of a job. No way. And so they start Leatherworks in the basement. It was formerly called Amen Acres Leather. Yeah. And for 12 years, the company honestly scraped by. Yeah. Just kind of went backwards and and did okay, but it was enough to support us. But it was- This is why you were growing up. Yeah. So while I'm growing up and it was cool because, you know, both my parents were always home and in the house and had a lot of good accountability there. And um, and about so the company was was literally they're making leather goods out of your house, out of the garage, out of the garage. Yep. Started in the basement, went to the garage. That's where the best companies start. Yeah, you know we should start recording this podcast out of a garage. <laughs> we could put a lot of towels on the wall too. Yeah, we should. Um, yeah. So we started in the garage in about 2012. Um, we got invited to Northern Grade, which was an event yeah. around town that's been uh once or twice a year ever since then. Yep. And that for us was when things kind of really started turning. Uh, we got sandwiched in between Filson and Red Wing Boots. And I'd always had this idea, like, I want our company to be as recognizable as Red Wing Boots. Yes. And like Leatherworks Minnesota, you got your denim, you got your boots, you need a wallet to go with it. Yes. And ever since then, we'd had bloggers and magazines. And that same year, Martha Stewart Magazine called and wanted no to way. feature us in a gift guide. And so we went from kind of going backwards for years and almost losing everything to... Our business starts booming with the Made in America movement, yeah, which kind of was just really getting its bearings back then, 2011, 2012. Yep. Um, and I, I would honestly argue it started in Minnesota, that whole movement. Really? And we've been busy ever since. And I started full-time at the end of my time at North Central. How old were you then? Uh, 23, 23 or 24. And you start as a sewer? That's, and that's yeah. been your job Yeah, so my dad put years. me on just small product back then, just sewing and Yep. Easy stuff, toothpick holders and key fobs and not letting me touch the big stuff yet. Yeah. Um, so it took me about a year to get proficient yep. to where I could handle sewing on my own without instruction. And you kind of feel like the sewing machine's a part of you and yeah. uh, it just gets fluid. But we hired on another guy named Lucas and my dad just goes, I think we need to move out of the garage. We're walking all over each other here. Yeah. And so a kind of a leap of faith, we we find a space in Lower Town, St. Paul, yep. in the Northern Warehouse building and um, checked it out, got a great discount on rent, nice, which was amazing and unheard of. And uh, Kent asked the owner, you know, this is our first time ever renting a space. Can we yeah. have the first two months free? Yeah. They said, yeah, no problem. No. And so we, we, we started off on a really good foot and we've been busy ever since. Yeah. And we make, you know, we make wallets and belts and suspenders and key fobs. And You said you have like 35 items that you're yeah, always making. Yeah, 35 items, about six colors of everything. So if you go on our website and scroll, it's like hundreds of product on there because it's, you know, it's all laid out 
color categorized and everything. And, um, so we went from back then maybe having two stores, um, black blue being one of the first stores we were ever in. Now we're in almost 70 stores globally and mostly in the United States. Um, a lot of stuff in Minneapolis. Yeah. And it's been, it's been so much fun. I didn't know it'd turn into a career for me. Yeah. Um, and now I can honestly see myself being there for the rest of my life. Yeah. Well, the the podcast is not just to talk about your trade and craft. Uh, it's, it's mostly to talk about who you are as a person, but I don't, I, I've never met anybody that works with leather. So I'm going to ask a couple questions. So where do you get the leather from? Mm -hmm. Do you raise your own cows? (laughs) No, I wish (laughs) that that'd be fun. Um, we buy most of our hides from the Red Wing boot tannery called SB foot. So same leather that goes on Red Wing boots. Really? Um, Wicket and Craig and Herman Oak. There's a couple other tanneries around the country that we like. Sure. Um, we have six stock colors for everything. So we kind of, so they come already colored. Yep. So we have a six colors we like, and we just buy those hides in bulk from our suppliers. No way. Yeah. And, and you're cutting them in, you do those colors in pretty much all your products. Yeah. Absolutely. It's awesome. That's the extent of all my questions about leather. Yeah, it's it's fun. Who knew it could be so fun? Yeah. Um, How did your, uh, so your, it's your stepdad, your mom, um, them starting that company is because the former company got shipped to China. Yeah. And how did he get into the leather world? Yeah. So Kent was working leather back in the seventies and eighties. Yeah. Actually just a couple blocks away from here is where Leatherworks really started. Um, and his boss back then, the company kind of became this Duratech company and he had stepped away for a number of years to pastor a church in Wisconsin yeah. in Cumberland. So he yeah. was pastoring for a while and, uh, stepped away from that in the nineties, came back. He met my mom. We were going to Good Shepherd Church at yep. the time in St. Paul yep. up on West 7th on the hill. And they got married in 1999 and he just, he had a background already. And, you know, I suppose you're starting a family and looking for a way to provide. And that's what he knew and was very good at it. Yeah. So that's that's what he did. Yeah, that's awesome. Did you, so growing up, did you think, man, this is what I this is what I want to do. I'm going to step in the leather world. No. Um, <laughs> you already said you went to North Central. Yep. They don't have a leather or sewing degree at North Central. What were you doing? Yeah, grow, growing up, what were you passionate about? What were you kind of looking forward to? I was always passionate about music. Um yeah. I started playing piano at a very young age and yep. took piano lessons for years and picked up a guitar in ninth grade and never turned back. Went from soccer, the soccer field to the guitar. Yes. And yeah, I just, music is what I've always wanted to do. It's what I've always been very good at. Yep. Um, but I always knew that it wasn't my calling necessarily. Yep. Um, so when I went to North Central, I was originally going to go to McNally Smith, where yep. they, the new River Valley just opened. Yeah. Um, I got talked out of it by my, my advisor in high school. Really? And so I went to North Central. I actually, I, I heard about North Central on a trip to Africa that I went on. Yeah. I got invited on a trip to climb Mount Kilimanjaro and raise no funds way. with Venture. I don't know yes. if you're familiar with them. Was Paul Herkman on the trip? He wasn't on the trip. It was Josh and Iguez and, and some of those those folks. Yep. Um, so they tell me about North Central and how great of a school it is and their music program and how great that is. Mm-hmm. So I went there with the idea that I'm going to do music. And when I, when I went there, I've kind of felt my heart change more towards missions. Yeah. And I, I still took piano lessons when I was there with Miroslava Kasilovich yes, and, and drum nice. lessons. And, nice. and I enjoyed that. But um, ultimately, God kind of pulled me towards the ICS department. Yep. Intercultural studies. Intercultural studies with an Islamic studies focus. Yeah. So your major was Islamic studies. Yes. And you were saying before we started recording, you were the first student to take that. Yep. At North Central, yep. first student to graduate. First with ever, it. yeah. I think they even gave me a scholarship for it. So, so how did your heart shift from music to missions? That's not a normal, not a normal transition. Like as a boy, did you have a missions pull? Did you have like an adventure pull? Like, how, yeah. How do you make yeah. that leap to? Nope, I'm gonna give up music and yeah. I'm gonna go across the world and you haven't done that, which is crazy. So we'll get there, but yeah. So I, I kind of grew up having a global perspective in a way I was born overseas. Yeah. Oh, uh, I was born in the Philippines Yeah, in Angeles. Uh, so how my, did that happen? My biological father, he's in the air force, yep. uh, just retired after 30 years. So I was born on an airface, airface, airbase over yeah. there and grew, growing up here. I always knew I was from somewhere else. And I remember when I was a kid, I felt like I want to be a missionary to the Philippines someday. Yeah. And, and I, go, I think go I was home. nine years old and go back home. And so I'd always had that idea in my mind that God wanted to use me for missions in some way and to tell people about him in other countries. And, yeah. um, 
I would chase that down in North Central, and, and Philippines was always my focus. Yep. And there's a big Islamic community there. Um, and then I got invited. Well, actually, when I was doing my field work prep at North Central, um, it was either between Uganda, which I had just been, yep. and that's how I heard about North Central, the Philippines, I was born there, or Turkey. Yeah. So I chose Turkey. I where, want to go somewhere I've never been. Where did Turkey been. come for, from? That was just on the list of the three places I could choose to go. Yeah. So I just went to Istanbul with Bob Brenneman and fell in love with it. And around the time I was reading Arabian Nights and getting really wrapped up in just this whole like Islamic worldview of just yeah. the way culture is and music. And um, when I and just being there, I just completely fell in love with the culture of Turkey. Um, and then when I went back for my internship in 2011 and lived there for three months, kind of just fell deeper in love with yeah. the entire country and got to see so much of it. And, you know, going on a 3,000 mile tour around yeah. the country and just seeing so much of it. Um, so I came back and um, changed my major to Islamic studies and still had another year to go. And when I graduated, I got invited to go on a mission trip to the Philippines to, no way. to teach what I had learned at North Central about intercultural relations between Christians and Muslims to yep. pastors up in Baguio. No way. Um, to kind of teach how to bridge those gaps between. So you did that and you were there for how long? Two weeks. Two weeks? Yep. So now you had been to Uganda, Philippines, back back to the Philippines yep. and Turkey. Yeah. And coming home from that, are you feeling like, okay, I'm moving to one of these spots or was one kind of yeah. leading the way? Yep. I'd always thought Turkey and, and it's something I'm still like praying about because life has transitioned so much in the last year. Uh, where do you want me to go? Yeah. And the doors seem open to so many different places because yeah. I have a cultural connection to the Philippines and being there and teaching and they're like, you know, this white kid was born here and he wants to come back and tell us about Jesus. That's awesome. Yeah. And there's a big, there's like a, a Catholic heritage in the Philippines where there's a curiosity yep. about who God is and a lot of doors there. Um, I'm open honestly to wherever that leads wherever in the future, but Istanbul's I'd say the biggest place on my heart. Oh yeah, man. I've, so I've been to Istanbul twice. Yeah. And as we're, as we're filming this right now or recording this right now, I'm going in a few days when when this is airing, when mm -hmm. people listen to this, I will have just been. And Istanbul might be my favorite place on the planet. I there's, agree. Uh, there's nothing. There's nothing like it. Nothing and, beats the the cityscape of riding the ferry back from Katakoy to Karakoy, and just yes. especially at sunset and all the all the pillars and in the Hagia Sophia and the the Blue Mosque. And it's just such yeah, a beautiful epic spot. Striking in the history, cultural heritage there that that was the center of the Christian world for a thousand years was Constantinople. Constantinople. Yep. The Hagia Sophia was essentially like the seat of the church yep. until it was overthrown. And so there's, you know, cities buried on cities there. And, and what the Turks do so well is preserve the Christian culture and the heritage there. Yeah. They don't completely wipe it out. So, yeah. Well, even, uh, I, I don't know if I ever say it right. Haggai Sophia. Hagia Sophia. Hagia Sophia. Yep. Saint Wisdom. Yeah. Is that what it means? Yeah. Well, even there, you go there, and it was a church, originally built as a, as a church, converted into a mosque, and now it's a museum, and you yep. go there, and they have, they when it was a mosque, they had covered up all the Christian mm -hmm. art icons. Yeah. And, yep. and now they've uncovered that so that you can go in the museum and tour and see yeah, these amazing murals of Jesus. Yep. And, and they're still uncovering more. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there's, I mean, you've, the big one that shows Jesus kind of depicted on the wall and you see where they're peeling back the concrete. Yeah. Because, you know, the, the Muslims that had taken over had plastered over it because just iconography is not allowed in Islam. Yeah. Um, and they think there's even more under the dome on the ceiling that they can't really get to that was painted over. Yeah. And I just watched a documentary about that. It's fascinating. They think there's a huge mural <laughs> yeah. of Christ on the top of the dome where they painted kind of the... Yes. The call to prayer on it. But yeah, it's one of the most amazing museums and, and spots in the world. And and Istanbul, a city that split by the is it the Bering Strait? Uh or the Bosphorus Strait. Bosphorus Strait. Yep. And on the west side it's Europe. On the east side it's technically Asia. So yep. it's one city on two continents. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. If you're listening, go to Istanbul. Go to Istanbul. Get your yeah. tickets today. Get your tickets today. Go to Give Istanbul. Give up coffee for a year and go do it. Okay. So obviously you're not a missionary right now. Mm -hmm. uh, you're not overseas. Yep. You're working in leather. And so what was the journey of, yeah, studying at North Central to mm -hmm. go do that? Um, and then you're still here and yep. you're doing amazing things here, mm -hmm. which is awesome. But obviously God still has some things on your heart. 
for your future to do yeah. something around the world maybe. Well, there was a big journey, I think, to God getting out a lot of the junk that I had been kind of dealing with in my private life for yeah. years. And a lot of that was alcoholism, addiction, yep. um, smoking, and, you know, the last couple of years had been processing, you know, why do I drink? Yeah. Why was I drinking so much? Yeah. And a so, lot of that, oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just interrupting, but where did, where did it start? You started drinking when? I started and, drinking when I was at North Central. Yeah. Yeah. So I had kind of had this double life of wanting to pursue this calling and this passion yep. and kind of medicating some sort of deep rooted pain that I wasn't sure what it was. Yeah. And, and that wasn't necessarily, you know, I, I didn't really make bad friends at North Central. It was just this culture that I got into of kind of yeah. like partying off campus. And, um, and it really started to trigger later this very serious addiction. Mm. Um, and something Tissel and I were talking about the other day is even though we're good and functioning healthy adults now, there's kind of that wound of like having a dad that's never there. Yeah. And what pain does that cause me as an adult now? And I think yeah. a lot of my drinking wasn't necessarily related to fatherlessness, but more to just identity yep. and not knowing like, who I was as a person. And I kind of, I'd always had very affirming parents, you know, my mom and my stepdad and such great people to be around, but there's still always like a gap there that, yeah. you know, you realize well, God can fill that. Yeah. Um, but I wasn't fully surrendering that to God. I was drinking and it wasn't so much an addiction in those earlier years. Um, it kind of become an addiction over the last two years. Yeah. Uh, maybe three years. I had been drinking casually and kind of 2016, 2017. And um, I realized I had a problem early last year. So I go, yeah. to, I go to Berlin with my mom. 2017. 2017. Yeah. So February 2017, I hop a plane to Berlin and I drink so much on the plane that I get gastritis. And I am What's sick. What's that? I don't even know. Inflammation of your stomach. And yeah. it's just gross and really painful. And so on the plane, on the plane, you're just I. Chugging. Chugging, yeah, the flight attendant just keeps bringing me wine after wine. And, and I realized, like, I can handle this and feel okay. And that probably means I have a problem if I can drink six glasses of wine and I'm fine or drink six, you know. Yeah. So my tolerance had gotten so high over the years that I didn't realize I had a problem. Yeah. I just figure I'm not drunk, so I don't feel it. But Is, um, your, is your mom sitting next to you like, what's, yeah. what's the deal? Yeah, she was, she was the first one to, to encounter, like, I think you have a problem. Yeah. And, and I started to notice in Berlin, like, I'm just belligerent. I'm loud. I'm angry. I've been fighting with my mom a lot for years. And, yeah. and just all these issues that are like this deep anger that was all alcohol. Yeah. And so I had gone through kind of a serious, you know, end of a relationship in end of 2015. And that's what yeah. really triggered the, the heavy addiction part. Yeah. And just numbing that pain because, you know, it's a painful experience, but I began to pray in early 2017, just yeah. like God, like take away this problem. Yeah, or you at didn't least want that problem. I didn't want the problem, and I didn't realize how bad it was. And I was just like, take away this addiction, or give me the will to overcome it. And I, I have a question. Just in this in this process, I think I think there's a lot of people that that are dabbling in stuff that they they probably know, like man shouldn't be doing this, shouldn't mm -hmm. be here, shouldn't be hanging out with this person or, you know, whatever, whatever it may be. Yep. Um, but there's a real like switch that can flip of like, this is, this is a problem. Like, mm -hmm. it's not just, uh, just every, I'm okay. Yeah. I can I'm handle this control. Yeah. Yep. And there's, there's something that like, there's a moment that happens that it's like, I have, I have an actual problem, you mm -hmm. know? And, but I think there's a way before, before it happens to you that mm -hmm. you as a person can self-identify, Yep. you know, and I don't know just in your process, was it your mom saying something? Was it just, you hit the end of your rope situation or was there some like slow down in your own spirit? Like mm -hmm. I need to do something about this. It was all three. Um, yeah. cause my mom started to call me out and I'd get very angry and argue with her. And I, I just felt spiritually dead, you know, being involved with my church, being on the missions committee. Yep. I felt like I'm just living in this double life that's a lie. Like yeah. I believe these things about God, and, but I, I'm not living that same yep. way. My life isn't painting that picture mm. of what I claim. So I just started to pray like, Lord, help me to overcome this addiction. 
Yeah. And he answered that prayer very quickly. Yeah. I started to wake up mid-March in the middle of the night just with my heart racing for hours at a time. I just wake up having tachycardia. And it scared me enough to like, maybe alcohol is causing this. I'm not sure. But I just felt imbalanced. Yeah. Um, it started to continue through April to become more chronic. And May 12th, uh, I still remember May 12th of last year, I had an episode where my heart just raced for hours at a time. Really? And I would lay down in bed and just shake and my heart was racing. And I'm like, okay, I'm done. I'm done drinking. And that was the day I gave up alcohol and the day I gave up smoking. But in Like my, cold turkey dropping. Yeah. So in my mind, I'm like, I'm just going to quit and I'll get better yeah. within a couple of weeks. My heart will be fine. And that was not the story at all. Yeah. I, so what happened? So I had quit drinking. I had quit smoking. But my heart would keep racing just regularly, really fast. And I'd go to the emergency room and they're like, well, you're, everything's normal. It's just really fast and we can work on finding the root of that. And um, my primary doctors were testing me for um, autoimmune diseases and yeah. everything under the sun. So I have kind of what they call the million-dollar workup. Yeah. And Because when you have every test you can have and they can't figure out what's going on. So from May to July, I lost almost 30 pounds. No. And I'm not a big guy to begin with. So, I, you know, I go from 140 to 145 to 117. And no. I'm skeletal and I start to have neuropathy. So from head to toe, I'm just having this fiery burning nerve pain and shaking all the time and heart racing all the time. And they can't figure and out what's wrong. they can't figure out what's going on. So and so in this moment, what's what, what's your conversation like with the Lord? And you gave this up and now you're you're mm -hmm. dying. My conversation, it was a lot of building trust with the Lord. It was, I don't know the answer to the situation, but you do, and I might die from this, and I trust you. Yeah. And that was that was essentially it. Um, mid mid July, I woke up with this sensation and kind of this word like, "Go to the doctor again today." Yeah. So I call the U of M. I get put in with this new lady that I'd never even heard of before, and I'd, I'd grown up around the U of M. My mom used to yeah. work there. Um, Dr. Santilli and I go in and see her and she goes, well, we've tested you for just about everything. But she goes, have we ever checked you for a disease called thiamine deficiency? And it's also called beriberi. It's a very rare alcoholic disease. And she goes, you look like you have it. She goes, you're skeletal, you're red, your nerve pain, everything. It sounds like it. So she looked up all the symptoms Yeah. and she goes, we'll, we'll do a blood test today, but we're going to treat it as if that's what you have. So basically they just put me on crazy dosages of vitamin B1. And um, that was on a Monday. By Wednesday, I couldn't walk anymore. So I woke no. up and just my legs were dead. And I couldn't move them or you I couldn't could move them, on. but I couldn't hold my weight of my body. Um, so I'd hobble and, and then I started to just feel delusional. And then I had insomnia for days at a time. And this is where I really think I'm about to die. Like I have given up. I've been obedient. I did what you asked me to do, and where are you? And it wasn't so much anger as just like deep sorrow. Like, like you did this to yourself. Life is ending, and yeah. I did this to myself. Yeah. And Friday, I get the phone call. We got your blood test back. You're completely deficient in B1 and folic acid, hmm. which is what causes anemia in your body. So I go I from- I don't know what anemia, anemia is. Anemia is when you, you're, you can't get uh, oxygen into your red blood cells. Got it. Which explains the breathlessness and the heart racing and everything. So essentially, I should back up a little bit. I didn't believe her when I got the phone call because she said, you're going to feel crazy for a month, but you're going to get better. Yeah. And I didn't believe her because I yeah. just, I was still like having four nights in a row where I just couldn't sleep. I couldn't walk. And I remember it was about three or four days in of just popping like 6,000% a day of these vitamins they put me on. Yeah. I started to be able to walk again and have like sensation. And um, I was still really weak for a while. Um, but as time went on, I I went from knowing I'm going to die to not dying. And yeah. I just kept living. Yep. And I just kept getting better and better. And it wasn't a quick process. It wasn't like God just healed me. And I genuinely believe it was a miracle bringing this lady in who knew exactly yep. what was going on, how to diagnose it. And... I think yeah, it, it was. I think she had mentioned it was her field of study as well. Like she knew ex all, like everything about this, and that God sent me to her. And it was, yeah, just going from hopelessness and going through that withering away, and where you start to feel life just going away and pulling away yeah. and separating. And and I just remember in those moments that God was just right there, yeah, you know, right next to me, and just everything was okay. Yeah. And even when I should have been terrified, 
that it was just like fine. Yeah, you're gonna make it. And you know, two months later, three months later, I'm still like weak and struggling. And we had just gotten a new dog at the time, Buddy. And Buddy would kind of pull me forward a little bit. So yep. he was kind of helping me walk a little bit, yeah. which is kind of funny. What kind of dog? He's a toy poodle nice. with a lot of energy. Yes. Um, so uh, August, September, I joined the gym. Yep. Because I was like, I'm starting to feel better. Like Stronger, I'm going to be okay. Yeah. Yep. And I th- I'd say September of last year was when I accepted I'm going to survive. Yeah. And I joined a gym. I started doing a lot of cardio and lifting and, and I'm still going to the gym. You can't tell. But no. it's just been, it's been so much fun just going through just a life and death scenario, which I never yeah. thought I'd be in. Yeah. Um, and God has used that to change so much of who I am. Yeah. Um, yeah. How do you, how, uh, your life gets, I mean, your life gets turned around completely yep. and you don't die. You're yep. still living. How do you go through something like that and make sure that you don't get desensitized to the miracle? So God did a miracle in your life, mm-hmm. saved your life. Obviously, there's purpose behind it. Obviously, there's good that can come from that whole journey. Even you just sharing that mm-hmm. is encouraging people that are listening today. Like, and and there might be people that are on the same road that you were on, you yeah. know, um, or even people that are sick in their body or chronic illness or anything like that that feel hopeless. But how do you how do you get the miracle, but then don't get desensitized to it? How do you stay living with this like purpose and life change and mm-hmm and not dipping back into casual living, if that makes sense. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Uh, For me, it was, I never want to forget what God did for me in that experience. And part of it is, you know, it was a traumatic experience and PTSD is a normal thing that people go through with when trauma happens. And that's something I've had to battle. It's like, I want to be able to function healthily without the, the worry or anxiety about what's happened, what happened happening to me again. Yeah. Um, but I'd say in, in, even just writing about my story and sharing it and keeping it fresh in a way that's not yeah. glorifying the the sin parts of it or even glorifying yeah. the pain of it, but just like that happened to me. I don't want it to ever happen again. God very much intervened to correct the way I was living in a very supernatural way Yeah. that I don't even want to go back. So that's kind of where I'm at now. I have no desire to drink. I have no desire to smoke again. And um, yeah, it was a humbling thing. And and talking to my mom now, she goes kind of comedically, she's like, I prayed that you would just get so sick that you would quit drinking. But I didn't realize you'd get that sick, you know? Yeah, jeez, like, mom. You almost <laughs> yeah, killed me. Thanks. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was awesome. They got to be stoked for you, though. Yeah. Like this new life that you live in. Yep. And what, what's really cool, too, a nice, nice plug for River Valley here is when I was going through my healing process, it was a couple weeks after I just started getting better. Yeah. I just started to want to do something and I was yeah. still kind of low functioning at the time yep. and I, you know, still struggling to walk and even think straight. And I was, I got an email from River Valley Woodbury, like come help us clean up a park and pick up garbage. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm going to sign up for that. Yeah. So I showed up and I'm, I'm sure I walked in like someone off the street just yeah, looking yeah. haggard, you know, 120 pound, 30 year old kid that looked like he was dying so Pastor Allen from that church, yes. he partnered with me the entire day and just ministered to me all day long. And No way. He didn't know a lot of what I was going through at the time or that, you know, I knew a lot of the stuff he was sharing with me, but yes. just how much that meant to me that he just walked side by side with me like, you know, you're going to be okay, you're going to get better. And he told me his testimony. And No way. So that was just, I went home like, wow, what a what a great guy. I had no that idea he, about that. Yeah, that he just... Yo, I can't wait kinda, for him to listen to this story. Yeah, That's just amazing. put his arm around my shoulder like, yeah. it's going to be all right. Wow. Um, and now here we are almost a year and a half later, just, or a year later, you know, pretty much completely better. And, yeah. And the, the the thing to catch up is a lot of the mental stuff because there was a lot of, I think, damage that happened. Yeah. Um, psychologically, not not mental disorders in a way, but just going through like neuronal cell death in your brain when your yeah. body is dying. There's so many phases to that disease. And I think I was entering into some really dangerous territory there with yeah. the thresholds. Where God's even been a year later, I can every day I feel my mind being healed more and more, yeah, and just more of a new identity coming back, yeah, and and I think that's what it was all about was kind of killing this this person and letting Jesus like save. I jotted it down the other day. I forget what I wrote, but it was something like that whole process wasn't about me trying to save my life. Yeah, it was about me losing my life and letting Jesus save it. Yeah, and that's exactly what it was. Was this formerly addicted, drunk, pretentious, 
ego-driven person that God just chiseled all that away to now it's just like identity is purely yeah. in him and we we come to Christ to die to ourselves yeah and not to like find some image that we project out to the world and so he kind of shattered a lot of my my image that I had of myself yeah and he's still constructing a new one but I guess that's part of the faith process our entire life is as we we're being sanctified every day we're becoming more like him we're gonna look more like him we're not gonna look like who we were yesterday yeah so, amazing yeah no I agree with you and I appreciate your spirit you know there's something about you there's like a gentleness and a humility and an encouragement you know mm-hmm. from from who thank you. you are and and I I even though we had gone to North Central together for a couple of those years yeah. um I we didn't know each other well um and I so I didn't know who you were before mm-hmm. but who you are now is amazing, you know, and it's just awesome to hear. And I love what you said. It wasn't you saving yourself. Mm-hmm. And what's crazy is you, you made the right choices to save yourself. Yep. And then your, your body's literally shutting down. And it down. still wasn't enough. It had yeah. to be, it had to be a supernatural. It had to be a miracle yep. situation, you know, and that's what God provided. Yeah. <laughs> now you live in it, which is awesome. Yep. So what, one thing that you, Oh, what were you going to say? Well, I'll say, so now I can take that energy and go back to my, to leatherworks and everything I'm doing yeah. is kind of with a new spirit of I'm not doing this for me anymore. I'm not yeah. doing this to boost myself in some way because leatherworks is a well-known company. Yep. We have a lot of followers and you can kind of get wrapped up easily in that image and people yeah. come up to you on the street and greet you and just think it's so cool what you do. And, and I fed it off is that. Cool what you do. And I fed off that <laughs> yeah. for years where it really built up this kind of false identity. Yeah. Um, and now to kind of just go into it, like I work at this company with my family. Yeah. And I want us all to do well and yeah. just have fun and have to like a peaceful atmosphere and a place that people walk into and feel the Holy Spirit, which I, th- people have told us when they walk in our shop, like it's different here. Yeah. Even people that aren't believers because they see our boxer logo on the wall and you know, what does fight the good fight mean? And yes, you know, it's, we can kind of tell little bits of our story and, um, cause we, we all have a story to tell. We've all been through things, but yeah, yeah. I, and even, I just feel God changing even the way Leatherworks is. Uh, being perceived outwardly too, and yeah, yeah, so it's it's cool. Yeah, it's less of it's less of this striving to be whatever, like have your company be famous or right. you know, uber successful. Although you want you do want that for a business to be successful and yeah. to have work to do, but it's more of yeah that praise God you are working in a business that provides for your family mm-hmm. that keeps your family together. Yeah peaceful environment. I love that. It's mm-hmm. awesome. It's just a, it, it seems like, and even just hanging with you, like, um, there's like a, a restfulness, like not restlessness, but mm-hmm. like restful, you know, like, yeah. Formerly just, being a very restless person. Yeah. God's been teaching me a lot to just live and function out of a place of rest. Yeah. And not out of a place of like attaining things yeah. or stuff or money or goals or relationships, those kinds of relationships, you know, yeah. But just allowing him to move in his own time and being okay with every moment that you're in yeah. and not being anxious. Yeah. One thing I was going to ask you is, we, we didn't really talk about it, but your faith journey, um, you know, grow, yeah, growing up as a child, at what point was Jesus real to you mm-hmm. and it became your own? Um, how Like, how were you raised and how did you get to the point even to acknowledge God in your life? Yeah. And even, even bring him on the journey of him, like freeing you up from some of the stuff, healing you, all that mm-hmm. stuff. A, a lot of the, which is awesome. Who you are now is, mm-hmm. yeah, God's, he's the Lord of your life. You're following him, mm-hmm. listen to his voice, all that stuff. But how did you get there? Um, so growing up, I've always had kind of an awareness of who God was. And I can still remember, you know, when, when we had moved back from the Philippines, we were essentially homeless. We lived in section eight. Yep. In Eden Prairie for a yep. while. And I remember even just being there, like having an awareness of who God was, but I'd never been to church in my life. I was four years old at the time. Yep. And I have no idea how that works. I just remember feeling God's nearness. I remember laying in bed, just like thinking about how long heaven is going to be and if that's going to feel too long, you know? And you had never been to church. I'd never been to church before. Really? And, you know, we were in kind of a rough situation then and God rescued my mom out of a lot of crazy stuff. Yeah. And she kind of had an appearance of Jesus in a way of like these fiery eyes. 
And that, like a vision or yeah, a dream, like or? a literal like appearance of like these eyes that had appeared to her, just like love and conviction. No. And that called her or that convicted her to get back to the church that she had grown up kind of going to uh, when she no was way. a little bit younger. So, you know, we came back. My mom was probably 20 at the time. Yeah. She had I, I was born or no, maybe 22. I was born when my mom was 18. Um, she got married when she was 17. Yeah. And so we came back to this church that my mom had gone to when she was 12. Like, you're the woman we've been praying for for years to come back. No. Kind of that prodigal story. No way. And so I grew up in this great environment of, you know, my dad wasn't around. He was serving our country overseas. Mm -hmm. Um, But we had a lot of great men in that church that just were fathers to me. Yeah. And a lot of families with a lot of kids at that church. It was like seven kids per family back then. (laughs) And so I just grew up with great people around. Do you have siblings? Sorry. Yeah, I have one full-blooded brother, a half-brother, and four step-siblings. Yeah. Both my parents are remarried. Where are you in the line of I'm right in the middle. Yeah. Yep. Me too. Um, well, actually, we have four kids, so I'm the middle oldest. But. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I remember when I was nine years old, you know, sitting in these church services and really feeling the, the presence of God. It was a lot of movements of the Holy Spirit back then that were really intense. Yeah. And I remember sitting nine years old like, I need to accept Jesus, you know. And and I still remember that moment and where I was yeah. and just going up there and praying. And, and it's something that, you know, as an adult, I battle through like, are we saved simply when we say a prayer or does there need to be life transformation that follows? And for me, it was a genuine moment, but for years I was running away and similar, you know, my mom had run away for years, but she never felt like God wasn't there. And same, same for me. It was, it was almost like God knows that your trajectory that you believe in him. He has his hand over you. And even when I'm off running and doing my thing and for sure coming back, God's like, I was there the entire time. And now, now you're where I want you. Um, but yeah, growing up at that church was great. Going to North Central, even though I was kind of on the bad kid list there, was great overall. Um, I feel like I was on the bad kid <laughs> list too. So it's was, all, was it's all good, yeah, yeah. Um, and God had just become so much more real to me over the last year. Yeah. Less of a, a person we believe in and more of a person we follow. Yeah. And he's not vague, he's not distant, he's very present. And so when I went through all that, deficiency stuff last year it was just him there and kind of just holding my hand like you're going to be okay and i even had friends that would say like a word over me like i feel like god wants me to share with you you're gonna be okay yeah and i didn't believe him you know it's so all these affirmations of truth and god changed my purpose he changed my direction and yeah calling was reaffirmed and so that was kind of my spiritual journey always having faith but really making it a reality less a set of beliefs and more a lifestyle change. Yeah, man, that's awesome. I love what you said, you know, being four years old and never been to church before, Mm -hmm. but having these like really, especially deep thoughts. I have a three and a half year old daughter. She'll be four in January. Yeah. And just, I mean, she's, she's raised in church. I mean, she's, she's, yeah. It feels like as a pastor's kid, you're always in church, but, um, to think of her having these deep thoughts about eternity yeah. and heaven uh, is pretty epic, you know, and you had never been to church and having those thoughts and makes you think of, and I don't know where, I think it's a proverb or something, maybe it's in Psalms, but that God has set eternity in the hearts of man, you mm-hmm. know, and we believe that every single person is, has been created by God and that eternity yep. is set in the hearts of every person created. And so it makes me think that that's how you can have those thoughts, like even at four years old, never being brought to church, that there's something beyond all of this, you know? And Mm -hmm. there's people listening right now for sure that they don't believe in God, yet they have thoughts of like, what what comes after all of this, Mm -hmm. you know? What on earth am I here for? Like, what, what am I doing here? How did I get here? You know, those thoughts. And though the reason that they have the capacity to even think like that is because God said it yep. in their hearts, you know, from the very beginning, uh, which is amazing. So yeah. I think even just you sharing that is a great inspiration to for anybody listening to be able to open up their hearts and and just think like how did how how do I even have the capacity mm-hmm. to think those thoughts, you know? Yep. And there's a there's a speaker that I heard uh, a while back that said God, God actually put the capacity in people, not just to think about eternity, but the capacity within every single person to hear God, mm-hmm. to hear from God, you yeah. know? 
Um, so deep thought. But Yeah, I think when people can really get it into their psyche that we are imagers of God. What do you mean by that? That he created us to be in his image. Yep. And when you can realize you like what that means about identity in this world, that's a lot of identity politics right now. It's like yep. when you can know true identity yep. being made in God's image and how healing that is to your own soul and to your relationships with everybody else. And I think knowing that can soften your heart to be more receptive to like, yep. if I'm made in God's image, then he must have a purpose for me. Yeah. And that purpose is probably greater than what I'm doing right now. And yeah. yeah. Anyway, that was, yeah, a lot of my journey last year. Just kind yeah. of realizing that. Yeah, I can't believe that this just happened a year ago, mm-hmm. you know, in this journey. Yeah, because, a little over a year ago. Because again, and and part of it's probably like your upbringing in faith, your relationship with the Lord with all, before all of this, that a lot of it's just redeemed, you know, like mm-hmm. that you've able been able to have such amazing growth just personally. What, what's some of the stuff that you're thinking about for your future as you process your calling and your life? Mm-hmm. Is it to expand this business and stay in it as long as you can mm-hmm. uh till it becomes a worldwide you know like the number one leather brand in the world <laughs> like like dreaming like that or is it you know a moment where you you give it all up and you follow follow the lord overseas mm-hmm. you know and do missions work yeah i think one thing it that, also doesn't have to be either one of those choices right. i think one thing god's kind of doing with me right now is really focusing me on getting out of debt yeah. And he's kind of positioning me in cool ways that are helping with that, which yeah. is awesome. Um, I feel we've always had kind of a good idea of how to control the growth of our business. Yep. Where we, we of course, want it to grow. You want your business to be successful. But we don't want it to grow so much we can't handle it anymore. Yeah. So we kind of have it in a really comfortable spot right now where we yep. all do well, but it's not unmanageable. And I would like it to kind of maintain that and maybe grow a little bit yeah. to the point where, you know, my dad just retired, Kent just retired. Yep. And he's still there helping. And my mom's probably got 15, 20 more years of work yep. as well. And so you can kind of see the transition happening where I could see myself running it or managing it someday. Yep. But having that freedom to go when I want to go. Yeah. And and I know a lot of people that they're not necessarily long-term missionaries, but they are they go to the same place multiple times a year. They're yeah. kind of doing this repetitive um, building relationships and community and getting involved with the church there. Yeah. And, and I love that. And that's kind of what I want to do. Yeah. Um, the idea would be to help run the company and then, and then have three or financial four months a year. freedom yeah. to be able to just dip out for a month or a week at a time if I want to, you know? Yeah, totally. So I, I think I'm going to start that next year. Yeah. It's just kind of maybe go to wherever I'm feeling called. I think Istanbul, maybe go a week at a time here. And yeah. There. Um, and as that keeps going and as things get clarified and, um, I think God's revealing a lot right now anyway, but yeah. well, maybe that will become full-time, you know, and Turkey's in a different political climate right now where that's not realistic for a lot of people. Right. Um, so I could see, and I'm a photographer, yep. so I kind of have an in with that as well. Yeah. And it's just, yeah, we'll see what happens on that front. Travel the world, do photography. Yep. No, it's awesome. Uh, one of the things that we always ask at the end of each podcast uh, or interview uh, is what what what's one piece of advice you give to somebody following in your footsteps? And I'd like to rephrase it a little bit um, mm-hmm. because I think what you'll what you, what you're about to answer is that same advice. But um, I think pe- people right now that again that are listening this audience it's a wide range of people in all different walks of life. But no doubt, are there people mm-hmm. that are there's something in their life that they know needs to change, yep. you know, and it's not even because somebody's shaming them about it or because some mm-hmm. pastor is saying, stop sinning, you know, like, yeah. you know, otherwise you're going to hell type thing. Like, I don't think it's that. I think they just know, they know, like, I don't know. It could even be a non-Christian listening, but they know they need to change this thing in their life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think people put it on the level of like, otherwise it's going to kill me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it may not, you know, yep. but it may as well. Um, it may ruin their life if if they let it keep going. Mm-hmm. W- what type of advice or encouragement do you give to that person that is like on the brink of saying, I know that I need to change this. I just have never had mm-hmm. the guts to recognize it, identify it, and actually try to make a change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something I realized that I think would be helpful to share is that honesty is the door to change. Mm. You cannot change without first being honest. Yeah. either with God or with other people. 
And, and I knew that the Lord knew my struggles. It took calling my parents and saying, I'm an alcoholic and I need help. Wow. And that was the, that's what started the change. Yeah. That opened the door to me being able to share other things I'd been keeping hidden for years, you know, which led to even more healing. So if there's someone out there who's listening, that's like, I need to change, but I can't get rid of this thing. Don't push away the Lord's like urging you to do that. Yeah. Cause he urged me for two years to do that. Yeah. And I avoided it it and quenched it for a long time. And that fire would come back and I'd pour water on it. And, and I'd say, just don't be afraid of honesty and not even being afraid of judgment or getting in trouble. Yeah. Cause it's like, if you want to change something, there's going to be critics. And of course, going through an addiction, I knew that there was a lot of people judging from the outside, especially when I was kind of getting sick and losing weight. And it's like, this kid is like skeletal and he looks horrible. Yeah. And I could, I could tell there was a lot of judgment going on, but still like, don't be, don't be afraid of that. And don't be afraid to be honest. Yeah. And that opens the door to change and God honors that as well. It's, well, it sounds like you had great parents that were with you on the journey yep. and encouraging you at that moment of just oh, yeah. bringing it up. They're like, yeah, you are an alcoholic. Let's do this thing. Yeah. And what's go. so cool about my parents, especially my mom, is she's a very militant person where she's like, I'm not going to let you just lay there yeah. and whimper around all day. You're going to get up. You're going to walk. You're going to go to work. Do it. Yeah. And that's exactly what I needed. Yeah. It wasn't, I didn't need someone to just be like, oh, you're going to be okay. Yeah. It's like, no, get up. We're doing this. Yeah. And even though I was terrified. And sometimes I thought, I'm going to die if I get up and try to go to work today. You know, I didn't yeah. have any energy. Yeah. God would just carry me through that. Wow. And it's funny. We, my mom and I had coffee with uh, Bethany Schrock a couple of days ago. Yes. And we were just talking about that too. Just yeah. like being militant and like not accepting circumstances. Yes. And pushing through and, and knowing that God's with you. And, yeah. And, and she was our first guest on yeah. this podcast, yep. which is crazy. What's cool and she's about walking her through her own journey. Yeah. She became a friend when she was going through her tumor is when I was going through my stuff. Yeah. So she just became a buddy. Like she'd yeah. just send encouragement and like, you got this. Here's a good encouragement video yes. or something. And no way. And her and her husband, Wes are just amazing people. Yes. And I'm excited to get to and know them Saint, more. St. Paul people too. Yep. So yeah. they love St. Paul. Yeah. They live like two blocks away from our shop. Yeah. So. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. To the point of you having great parents and support, um, you know, sometimes the, the fear to be honest with yourself or with other people is just the the fear of being shamed, you know, or even just the consequences of what they're going through, you know, mm-hmm. basically the fear of pain, you know, to walk through, like there's pain to walk through as I bring this into the light, you know, mm-hmm. and I think about it like, I think about it multiple different ways. It's like uh, you a bone that's broken and it sets the wrong way, you know, yep. like there's, there's things that happen in our life that break us down and, and we try to manage in our, and it it's like breaking your arm and it gets set the wrong way. And then mm-hmm. the only way to fix this thing is you have to walk through the pain of re-breaking it yep. and getting it set right, you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's I, a great, great I, I, analogy. I guess I don't, I don't know what the question is, but how, how do we, how do we help people? And even, because this is this is not the last time you're going to walk through something or mm-hmm. I'm going to walk through something like how do we ensure that if there's something that needs to be changed in our life that we we don't shy away from it just because we fear the rebreaking and the resetting mm-hmm. and the healing you yeah. know again people listening they're like well I don't have parents like you do and I know I'm going to get shame for it and I yep. know there's going to be immense pain that I got to walk through um you know how do yeah, how do we encourage people? And even even myself, I think about myself. Like, how do how do we just step into it? Like, we got It's got to happen. It's got to yeah. happen. I would say that even the hardships in life. One of the misconceptions about being a believer is that everything's going to be great for the rest of my life. Yeah, no problems. And I don't think that's true. I think right. Um, what people forget is that even God's even hardships are yep. still grace. Yeah, and I think that's what I had to realize too. Like, you know something bad could happen further down the line. None of us know, but to walk fearlessly into the future, knowing that God's with us and that even if we're going through correction or discipline, that that is still God's grace because he disciplines those he loves. And I I think there's a scripture and I don't know exactly where it is, but maybe, you know, it's like he wounds us to heal us. The idea that even God's wounding, not 
as you would think of it, but even that is his love and his healing. For sure. uh, The Bible talks about correction like that. Yep. um, That a good father is correct, is corrective, you know, and sets boundaries. Yep. um, So I agree. I agree with that. Like Mm -hmm. walk through it, take the correction, uh, get the bones reset so that you can live, you know, and uh, it's awesome. Dude, yeah. thanks so much for being here. Thank and you for just, having me. Yeah, sharing your journey. Yeah, it's epic. Yeah, to to, <laughs> to yeah, I, and Still I love here. yeah, I love meeting yeah tradesmen, uh, craftsmen. That's you're in a niche of making leather goods, uh, and but that's not who you are. You know, mm-hmm. you are this amazing, encouraging, humble Thank man you. that's been brought through so much. I'm glad you're alive. I'm glad you're on this podcast. <laughs> it's going to help a bunch of people. Yeah, uh, last so. question before we leave. What's your favorite book of all time? That Tissel tipped me off to that one ahead yes. of time. Um, that job, is a hard question. Tissel. It's a two-way tie. Yeah, all right. Can I Go do that? for it. Yeah, please. It's a two-way tie between Peace Like a River by Leif Anger. Yep. Fiction, but yep. favorite book I've ever read. Um, and A Severe Mercy, um, which is a biography about Sheldon Vanokin and his wife, um, meeting each other, falling in love, befriending C.S. Lewis and how they became Christians through their friendship. And so that's, it's, a, that's true story biography. Yeah. Yep. Buddies with C.S. Lewis. Yep. A severe mercy. It's one of the most beautiful. If you like a love story. Yeah. It's a pretty sappy love story in a good way. Yeah. It'll get you crying. Um, and then a piece like a river is just, I really identified with the book cause I grew up having asthma and the main yep. character is a kid who has asthma huh. and it kind of reads like a Western leaf is a believer. It's not necessarily a Christian book, but there's a lot of theological undertones to it. Yeah. His son shoots and kills these intruders and flees the law. And the dad who's kind of like the father brings his family, packs him up to go out West to find the son and to welcome him back. And no way for, you know, it's just a beautiful story. So I'd recommend anything by leaf anger. Peace like a river, peace like a river, a severe mercy. A severe mercy. Check it out. It's amazing. How can people find you online? Uh, my Instagram is just Nathan O'Malley. Yep. And Leatherworks is Leatherworks MN. Yep. And that's about it. Amazing. Yeah. Thanks so much for being here. Yeah, Great thank you. job. Killed it. Thanks for having me. If you've enjoyed this podcast, be sure to head over to iTunes and leave us a review. You can also subscribe to us on YouTube or anywhere podcasts are found. To stay connected with what we're doing, you can also follow us on Instagram at Exception Podcast and visit our website at exceptionpodcast.co. New episodes are releasing every Friday. If you know someone who is an exception to the rule and want us to share their story, you can let us know on our website. We're always on the lookout for new stories to share. Until next time, remember, as a rule, be an exception to the rule. Peace.